Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and delighted that we've made it to the Choice Prize Preview Special. John Barker, Totally Irish, the annual returning guest as we go through all of the albums that make up the uh, Irish Album of the Year shortlist and we'll go through all of them and we'll try and come up with a winner at the end of it. John, how are you doing? Good morning, Anna Sullivan. It's good to talk to you again. Loads and loads to talk about. It's it's strange when you think though, because before we decided to chat about this, I was thinking about, I was reminiscing and I was looking back through the years when, when we've actually conducted this particular podcast and last year we would have done it together face to face in 98FM and then we went out partying afterwards we went to Vicar Street to see the Murder Capital performing live and if you remember one of my highlights of that gig was randomly before one of their songs in the middle of nowhere Junior Brother came out on the stage and did this incredible dramatic stage dive into the crowd which was hilarious Ah, the the good old days, huh? The good old days, I know, when we used to meet up and we used to go to the gigs. Before we get into the Choice Prize shortlist, how have you found the past year of working for Totally Irish? Like you would have had guests in every week into the studio, not so much the past year, I suppose. No, it's strange. Since, well, this time last year, we've actually only had one live guest on the show, and that was Stephen Byrne from Golden Pleck. And thankfully, he wasn't performing any live music because he's got a bit of a dodgy voice when he's singing. But um, it was nice to get him in. It was nice to get him in to reminisce and chat about the big music stories of, of 2020. But otherwise, yeah, I've, I'm still doing weekly live interviews with acts, but obviously it's done over the phone. It, you know, it took a bit of getting used to. The interviews, I would hope, are decent, but probably never as good as having somebody in front of you and also performing generally live music. The very first phone interview we did back in... Uh, it was probably last April was with Nilo towards the end of the interview. It was like, it was a live phone interview. His doorbell rang and he said, uh, Oh, uh, sorry about that. I ordered pizza and it's after arriving. And I was like, yes, this is amazing. This is live radio. And so Nilo had to go to the door and, you know, take his pepperoni pizza in and it was all done on live radio. So this, that, that kind of made it exciting in some ways. <laughs> And all the all the episodes are up on uh, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, so people can go back and listen to Nilo chomping on some pizza if they want. <laughs> yeah, I know. And personally, John, congratulations! You've had a big year, become a dad uh, in the past year. How, how have you found it? Yeah, it's it's been an experience, all right. My wife and I had a had a, a, a baby boy a few months ago. His name's Elliot. He's nearly nine months old. And uh, yeah, we probably picked a good time to have the kids during a pandemic. We weren't going to be doing a huge amount anyway, apart from watching them try to crawl around the place. So yeah, it's been really good. Alan. Thanks very much. I'm trying to teach them about the musical greats, by the way. So every day I'm, I'm saying to them, now listen, this is the Beatles. These guys were huge once upon a time. And then I'll put on a bit of Neil Young. He's, he's, he, I think he, he's a big fan of Fleetwood Mac at the moment. So he's on the right roads. Has he got a favorite in the choice prize running? He likes uh, Roshi Murphy. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Who doesn't? But this, this is the thing. I don't know who doesn't like Roshi Murphy, but I, you know, I think he likes Roshi Murphy because he's probably heard her so much over the last few months that he recognizes some of the songs, I think. So if Elliot got a particular vote, he'd go for Roshi Murphy. Okay, but Elliot's not on the Zoom. It's you that I'm talking to, John Barker. So I suppose we should get into it. We're going to go through the list in pretty much alphabetical order. So that means that we're going to start with Bitch Falcon, Staring at Clocks, their long-awaited 
debut album. It's it comes about seven years into their career after multiple lineup changes. Um, John, I'll go to you first. How how do you feel about staring at clocks? I I I'm presuming that you're a little bit like me, delighted that Bitch Falcon got the recognition and finally got their their debut album after so long waiting. Oh, totally. I like I, Bitch Falcon are a band that I've been following from the from the very start. I was involved on with a live music video production company called Press Record. And back in 2014, it was myself and two other gentlemen, Robin Ball and Steve Caffrey, who made these particular videos. And Steve knew Nigel Kenny from Bitch Falcon from working together in Music Maker. And he said, I remember him saying, these guys are amazing. You have to see Bitch Falcon live. They're incredible. So we went to see them at one of their very first gigs. I can't remember whether it was the Bellow Bar or the Mercantile. Um, and afterwards, anyway, stupidly long, we said, you know what, we should make a documentary about these guys. So um, we actually shot footage of a lot of the earlier Bitch Falcon gigs. I did loads of interviews with them. Um, I chatted to them all individually and, and, as a, and as a collective. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because I, I just wanted, I kind of wanted to remind everybody of the buzz that was around Bitch Falcon back then. We were talking about seven years ago and they were incredible live and going to see them was like a religious experience. It was, I mean, there was such energy in the crowd and there was such a buzz about them. And yeah, I have to remember like here was this awesome kind of heavy grunge band with uh, three female musicians and a male drummer in the band. And they knew, they knew how to, how to rock out and only like yesterday I randomly discovered footage I have of them performing at Electric Picnic 2014 I've got 13 minutes of Bitch Falcon gold and it's just amazing to see them because I've, I've forgotten how great they were back then you've got like absolute head the balls jumping around the place and really really just enjoying the energy of Bitch Falcon the thing about them was expectation was probably too big you know they they had they had as Lizzie said to me last year in an interview, they had starting off, they only had like three songs. They didn't have like a whole hour's length of, of music to be able to play. So I think people probably thought that they should have become bigger at a sooner stage. They should have been releasing albums nearly straight away. And that was never going to happen. The band weren't ready. So this debut album, owners, uh, it's a long time coming for Lizzie and Nigel, who are the two remaining uh, original members of the band but it was worth the wait I'm, I'm so happy for them that they got nominated because they put a hell of a lot of hard work into the into the records are you, are you a fan of the album itself i think it's good i think it's a blast of energy um when, whenever you need it uh it, it's there to just kind of wake you up in the morning so it's it's a good one to um kind of dust off the cobwebs i suppose I was surprised to see it on the shortlist just because it came out in November. Oftentimes, albums that come out late in the year can kind of get ignored. So uh, this, I think, the JLOL album as well were both released uh, quite late on. So they were both surprises on the shortlist just because of the time that they came out. But I think it's a good album. I think there are some tracks like uh, Gaslight, the opening track, I'm Ready Now, and the title track as well that I really, really enjoy it's a guitar lover's dream, I think. And uh, Lizzie, who I talked with on the point of everything last week, said that, uh, you know, it, t- it took her a while to kind of get the vocals and the lyrics right for it. She um, 
you know, it, t- it just took a while to build up to them. And they sound a little kind of buried in the mix sort of thing. I don't know, was that intentional? But sometimes you can kind of be left straining to hear what, what she's saying. So in that respect, it does kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it has you going back for more because you want to hear like, what what's she singing this time? So um, I think it's a really good album. Uh, I'd be interested to see what they do next, Bitch Falcon. And obviously their live reputation precedes them and i can't wait to hear these songs uh played loud and live from a big stage at a festival i listened to that interview that you did with lizzie it was really really good and i think she says towards the start of it that i think herself and nigel were pretty surprised as well that they got nominated and i I think that was as much to do with the style of music that they have that maybe they thought judges aren't going to go for this but i agree with you about lizzie's vocals i think like she's worked so hard over the years to find a different way to sing. She's really learned how to use her voice in different ways. And at, at times in the album, there's almost moments of tenderness in, in the way she sings before she go, goes back and she, you know, reverts back into her, her snarl and her snap. But I think her guitar playing is incredible uh, on it as well. I know what you mean about her vocals. I've uh, kind of been lost at times in, are slightly kind of hidden uh, in, in the music on some of the some of the tracks. There's, it reminds me a little bit of, of War Paint and the effects that they use on, on their vocals. Like she's obviously one of the main strong points of the album. I think Nigel's drumming as well is better than ever. And he his drumming worked really well with Barry, who did bass on the album. And I think this is just the album of a band that have really worked their arses off for years and years. And musicianship wise, they're at a really high level. Uh, I, I love the tracks I'm ready now, Turn to Gold, Test Trip, Gaslight. They're probably my, my favorite tracks from the album. And the, the only thing though is that when you get, get to the end of the album, as great as, it, as the songs sound on record, you, you kind of just want to see them performed live because I think that's when you'll really, really get to appreciate them. Yeah, but uh, we have to judge on the albums themselves. So uh, we'll, we'll see if Bitch Falcon staring at clocks gets the nod. A great debut album for them. And we, we maybe should have mentioned that this is a very heavy debut album shortlist. Eight of the 10 nominees are on their first albums. The only ones who aren't are Fontaine's DC, A Hero's Death, following up their debut album, which was released last year and was also nominated last year, 2019. And uh, Roisin Murphy is on her fifth solo album, Roisin Machine. So she's kind of the uh, the long in the tooth artist on on the shortlist. Um, I don't know. Have you any thoughts on on the kind of how heavy on the debut albums the shortlist is? And also, I guess they're they're the only two albums, am I right in saying, that are probably released on a a big enough label. Fontaine's DC was released through Partisan Records and I think Roshi Murphy's album was released through Skint Records. And if you look at the other eight albums, they're more or less released independently or at, at least released on very, very small labels. I don't know, does it, I, I mean, does it point towards the fact that the, there's a real freshness about the Irish music scene, that it's not the same acts being nominated every year? I mean, that's one good thing. You could also look at the fact that maybe labels decided that you know, 2020 is not the year to release an album. What are we going to do with it with an album once it's once it's released? So maybe you could look at 2020 as being the year of independent artists, the year when independent music was able to come through to the forefront. And one independent artist who was definitely at the forefront of a lot of people's minds was Denise Chyla last year. She released her mixtape 
debut album, Go Bravely. It was a great year for Denise. She did the National Gallery live stream. I think that was with um, other voices. And I remember hearing Chyla for the first time and straight away, like it just stands out among all of her tracks. It just really, really got me. I was like, what is this? The first time hearing that. And it's like I haven't stopped hearing it all year. It's just been everywhere and it kind of dominated everything uh, about her last year. What a 2020 that Denise Chyla had. What What are your thoughts on Go Bravely that arrived towards the second half of the year? I, I, I don't have the release date in front of me, John. I mean, she's had an absolutely amazing, amazing year. Easily, like when we look back at 2020, she's going to be one of the highlights. And like since she released Copper Bullet and Dual Citizenship around early 2019, since like everybody heard those two tracks, you've kind of been waiting for this to happen. You kind of knew that she was just going to explode onto the music scene. She's an incredible artist, performer, speaker, style icon, She's a, she's such a, a role model already. Like she's a, she's an all around superstar. And as you said there, like despite there being a pandemic, like she's she's worked her whole off this year to the point of nearly being burnt out at times. Just planning and doing various live performances. That late late show interview was I mean it was it was a reasonably okay interview. But I mean I, I think just the fact that she was on the late late show probably got her loads and loads of exposure opened her up to a completely different audience i've seen her on the front cover of so many magazines and newspaper magazines um, she shot incredible videos really kind of iconic videos this year um, and yeah i think the the main uh, like highlight of what she's done is that uh, incredible courage performance in the national gallery that you mentioned so i think like when they do reeling in the years from years to come uh, and they look back to 2020, Denise Child is going to be uh, over it quite a bit. And then also, as you said, like she released this mixtape, Go Bravely. And um, I don't know, it's uh, like, I'm glad we're not going to be discussing. Uh, I'm glad you didn't open up this bit about Denise Child discussing whether a mixtape should be on the top 10 albums of the list. I'm surprised that you didn't. But in, in terms of the, <laughs> the mixtape itself, I really like it. I, I, I mean, the thing is, in, in interviews that she's done, she's been quite open about the fact that this is not her debut album. She doesn't want it to be seen as her her kind of first album. It's a, it's a collection of songs that she was working on. And I think that they're like the, some of the tracks on the album are incredible. Like Chyla continues on from Jill's citizenship in her discussion of what it means to be Irish and you know, not look like you're Irish. And it's done in a really clever way. Unshot, which she released just before Christmas, was another great single, which she did with Jafaris. Holy Grail is amazing. I really like the track, all that, that she did with Outsider YP. I just think for the good tracks on the on the album or on the mixtape, there's also other tracks which probably don't hit the heights of the, of the better ones. There's a few songs in there which are good but are probably not as good as the as the ones that i've just referenced there so tracks like pieces can't stop uh sorry can't st- stop me here uh down is another one uh and maybe that's just because it's a mixtape and this is you know she didn't really want it to be perceived as as anything else than that yeah, that's exactly what she says as well on her Bandcamp page when she releases. She says, this mixtape is a series of sonic Polaroids, a patchwork collection of snapshots and messages that came to me in the midst of overwhelming messiness. So 
like w- one of the things talking to people um about it has been that like you know oh the production isn't amazing on it because it, you can tell the difference in a track like unshot the the go bravely version compared to the single version that she released with jafaris the single version just sounds so much bigger and brighter and better um i i think that's the definitive version of the song um the single version with jafaris which is absolutely brilliant but the mixtape is a great showcase of denise shyla both her delivery as a rapper i think she's great and her lyrics as well are just so brilliant her her wordplay like on holy grail she says uh, don't give me advice if you don't drink water which i think is great on re-raw she says uh feelings so shinafiana i will not fall got a bula bus for my drive keep the pressure on i could wrap it but i'm not going to it's early in the morning when we're recording it john so i won't give you the full uh my full denise child impression i think the mixtape is is really good i've been listening to it a lot uh the past weekend and i've connected with it more than i did last year there's some really really uh, great stuff on it but we've been calling it a mixtape a lot more than we've been calling it an album ultimately i'm more excited to see what denise child does next i want the definitive version of Denise Child, the definitive debut album. So that's where I am with uh, Go Bravely. Definitely. And it's going to be huge. Whenever she does release that album with like a full production on it and a bigger budget on it, it's going to be absolutely huge. And I think we both agree that she's amazing. And I think nearly everybody else does as well. So yeah, when it does come, we're going to really enjoy listening to it. Yeah, she's a superstar in waiting, and uh, there, there's no denying it. She's going to be, she's going to be a lot bigger, um, and she's going to do something a lot better as well, I think, than go bravely. And now we're on to one of the big hitters on the Choice Prize shortlist. It's Fontaine's DC with their second album, A Hero's Death. Uh, when was the last Irish album that was nominated for a Grammy? It's amazing see the lads have done so well in the last year considering their relentless touring schedule came to a very abrupt halt and their star has just continued to rise and they've gotten great exposure out stateside this album seems to have done exactly what they would have hoped for and it's amazing to see that that's happened despite the fact that they haven't been able to do it live all around the world um personally a hero's death doesn't do that much for me john i've tried so hard I've tried so hard and uh, it, it just does so little for me. Um, but I want to hear what you think about A Hero's Death. I know you're a fan as well of Fontaine's DC. Goodness me, hang on. I need to get over the surprise of what you've just said there because I know you were a fan of Doggerel and I know that you're a fan of Fontaine's DC. So I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, to hearing sorry, your comments on the album. I Look, I, I, I really, really like this album. It's one of my favourite albums of the year. And I, I think it's a really ballsy kind of second album release for them. They could have followed up the success of Doggerel with an album filled with five or six, you know, like really kind of big songs, real crowd pleasers. They could have gone a lot more mainstream on this second album, um, which we've seen so many acts do. The, the first sniff of success that they get, they suddenly go all mainstream. Instead, um, they've opened the album with two of the like the least mainstream songs imaginable. I Don't Belong, the opening track, is a wonderful song, but it's such an anti-opening song to an album. And then it's followed up with Love is the Main Thing, which keeps the kind of gloomy, uninspiring, downbeat kind of vibes going. So you listen to both opening tracks to the album and you think, ah, this is amazing. They've more or less said, fuck you to popularity and instant success. They, you know, they've purposely put those two songs 
at the start of the album, which I think is a, is a really ballsy move. And uh, I'm a big fan of the album overall. I think as, song, as, as songwriters, they've managed to create a couple of really iconic moments with the song A Hero's Death and Televised Mind, which are I think are two of the best songs released over the last few years. I think a Lucid Dream, You Said, Living in America and I Was Not Born are four really great album tracks. I love the, the closing two tracks on the album, Sunny and No. The middle one, Oh Such a Spring, is the weak point for me on the album. I, I skip it nearly every time I listen to the album. And that's probably the only criticism I, I would have of the album. The lyrics are a little bit weak here and there, but the musicianship and the songwriting and the production are all much better than in Doggerel. And I'm, I'm delighted to see the success that the band are having at the moment. You know, they, they are the real deal. I think they've proved a lot of people wrong with this second album. Because it, like even fans of the band would, would have thought, how are they going to follow up Doggerel? You know, are, do they, are they actually able to pull off this kind of second album? And they, like, they've kind of gone from originally from this 1950s straight up rock and roll kind of playing three chords with simple arrangements, all very kind of rooted in, in tradition. And they've kind of expanded on that particular sound that, that, they, that they had. And I think because you mentioned there, you know, the band touring, I think because they, they toured so much up until last March, I think they became just better musicians overall. So I, I think you can hear that on this album. So yeah, I, I really like, I really, really like this album. I've listened to it a lot this year. Uh, why do you think it has resonated and done so well, considering it is kind of like, you know, as you say, kind of a, a fuck you to people who might have expected something a bit shinier from them? Why, why do you think it's connected so well? I honestly don't know. I mean, I've, I've had this discussion over the last few months. I don't know. Like, it's a, it's a great album. But as, as, as I've said, it's not the most mainstream album ever. I think it's just connected with people. You know, I don't know how it, it, it's got to the stage where it's, being nominated for a Grammy and they're going to find out in a couple of weeks whether they've won for best rock album. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of just followed on from the success of Dog World. They've, they've, they've got a great reputation because of that album and maybe they picked the right time to release album number two. And I, I think having those singles uh, really helped like Televised Mind and the Heroes Dead are great releases. They're great singles. So Yeah. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? Uh, I find the album just plodding. I, f I find it so slow and just it needs a shot in the arm. And I think that was what I liked so much about Doggrel. There was just, you know, that excitement straight from the off, like big uh, boys in the better land when that comes in. Hurricane laughter in the middle of the album. There was these big songs that kind of changed the pace of it. But with a hero's death, I just find that it's so similar and so plodding and they sound bored and uh, I, I just find it interesting that they sound bored after just like two years of being a band. I think it was interesting kind of the the pre-release uh, hype and the interviews that they were doing around it, talking so openly about scrapping an album that they had made in LA that sounded like a big cocaine album. Uh, I think it was Green said that in one interview 
and they were talking about references to the Beach Boys. I don't think there's any Beach Boys stuff that's kind of made it onto it. I'm, I think everybody is kind of glad that there isn't. You can hear a couple of bop bop bas in the in the background throughout, but uh, ultimately, like it, I I just really am disappointed by this album. I hope that they can remember to write a big like maybe I wanted a mainstream sounding album from them. I wanted that big shiny. Uh, pop rock album from them <laughs> I don't know if pop rock is the right word for it, for it but um, yeah very little on here does it for me Living in America is probably my favourite track just because I think the guitars are really good and one thing to say about this Choice Prize shortlist is that you know so often people say oh guitar rock is dead guitar rock is dead man there are so many great guitar albums on uh, this shortlist and I do think the guitars on A Hero's Death are the best thing about it by a mile the rest of it I could leave behind you could have given me a heads up that this is going to happen i'm shocked at this i'm shocked at this but like that that's the i mean that's the great thing about chatting about music you you can talk to somebody who you think yeah i'm like i, I would have put all my money on the fact that you would say you're gonna like you would have agreed with me and you really really like this album and and there you go you know you've, you've surprised me once again on you have surprised me yeah i i mean i tried so hard with this with this album you know like i had it on repeat when it came out and it, it just never clicked with me and then i kind of forgot about it i kind of put it by the wayside gave it a few months thought oh, i'll come back to this now in january or something and and see how i feel about it but it just does very little for me um but i do think it'll probably be in the running for the choice prize i feel like i'm the only person who actually prefers dogwell to a hero's death everybody else seems to be a lot more interested in this than their first one um but i mean it's got the grammy nomination it's got amazing reviews and i'm sure that the judges will have this in the final reckoning um come thursday or tuesday and wednesday when they're doing their uh they're judging they're doing it over zoom over a couple of nights uh this week before the winner is announced on thursday how do you think that is going to work john have you thought about it do you think that it's uh like i mean obviously it's a necessity just because of uh covid usually the judges are all in the room duking it out together having a few drinks getting loose uh not so much this year which is kind of disappointing from them because it's such a nice uh nice experience yeah and it's a great list of judges and uh, like if you look at the list of judges there's I, I, like I know six or seven of them, and they're really into their music. I, I think doing it over Zoom, though, as opposed to doing it like across this big long table that the judges sit around normally, is you're not going to have people kind of cutting across each other. Not that that would have happened a lot anyway, but you would have. I mean, invariably, if you're having a debate about something, people are going to be jumping in and giving their opinion. So that's not really going to happen. It's probably going to be a bit more polite. It's probably going to be like a lot more organized. Um, and I don't know, maybe maybe it'll help in, in some ways that people are going to have the opportunity to really listen to what other judges are saying. I don't know. I don't know which way it's going to go. It, it, in, the other, in the other sense, like sometimes you, you need to see somebody in front of you being very passionate about an album for them to have like the, the full impact. You know, stuff gets lost on, on Zoom, I think. Uh, true meanings get kind of get lost when you're chatting on Zoom the whole time. So. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 I feel sorry for the judges that they're not going to be able to experience, as you said, that whole kind of build up on the day to meeting up with each other and then sitting down. You you have a bite to eat and then you, you sit down and you kind of trash through the, the 10 albums. I also feel really, really sorry for the acts that um, aren't going to get the opportunity. You're probably going to mention this anyway, on, uh, but the, that aren't going to get the opportunity to perform live in front of a huge crowd in Vicker Street. That 15 minutes on stage at the awards ceremony is it's really really special for the for the acts i know they get such a buzz out of doing it 
the other thing that I really don't understand is I don't know why the awards have been um, are taking place or the, the award has been announced uh, in the middle of the day on a Thursday on Two FM. Uh, I don't like why. Why is this not happening at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night time? I mean, Tara Stewart has a has a show, doesn't she, on Two FM in the evening time? She would have been. It would have been perfect to have it during then. Most people are working during the day. Like, what, what's like? I feel sorry for the musicians who probably would have had um, online parties, maybe with their family or friends or whoever, and you know, while the the award ceremony is taking place, and instead it's going to happen at what two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I, sp- I suppose uh, I, I think um, to put, to try and put a positive spin on it, it's kind of like the daytime radio, you know, like so many of these acts aren't going to get played on Irish daytime radio. Um, and I guess the listenership figures are just bigger at, well, at that time. <laughs> um, so I'm, I don't know, I guess that's that's the positive way of looking at it. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting way of doing it. Obviously, we all hope that we're back at Vicar Street um, next year uh, for the Choice Prize ceremony. But let's continue our rundown of the acts. JLOL is next on the list to talk about 2020 Division. We mentioned it earlier. It came out in November. He kind of got a bit of uh, notice in the summer for being one of the voices, one of the founders of the Irish Black Lives Matter movement. And he got a lot of uh, press off that. I don't know. Um, I, th- I think the album was already well in the works. It was already done uh, by that stage. So there's no kind of um, reflection on that uh, in in the, the album itself, which is a long album. It's 15 tracks long. It's just over the hour mark. And ultimately, that's my biggest criticism of it. I think there's a really, really great tighter album in here, but there's uh, it's it's just spread a little bit too uh, thinly for me. But I th- I think it's a great uh, showcase of his talents. It's um, uh, Jean Luc is J L O L's real name. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. Uh, he's from Nigeria. He moved to Ireland in uh, 2014. I think it was this album kind of came in the past couple of years as he kind of found his voice, found the team that he wanted to work with. There's some really great Afro beats running through the album. It's a fun album. It's uh, It's got some great tracks like Call It What You Want, uh, the closing track Ozone as well, Tunnel Vision. Uh, there's some really, really good tracks, but then there are some songs where you just kind of, I don't know, your mind just drifts because, because it's so long. That's probably my one criticism of the album is that as it goes on, a lot of the songs may become a little bit indistinct from each other and Maybe this is to do with the fact that it, it was generally like a two-man job on the on the album with Jay Well and his producer Chris Cavs. So yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. I, I'm I'm a big fan of Jay Well. I I think he's got such a really great story as well. Like he moves to Ireland from Nigeria when he's 14. I think we probably all saw that RT news clip that did the rounds a few weeks ago when they went and uh, interviewed him now with his mother and showed him the clip of of him being interviewed. Um, at the age of 14 in, in his in his uh, secondary school and he starts doing like a, a live rap and you're kind of thinking Jesus can you like can you imagine being in the same class as JLOL he must have been like the, the coolest guy ever but then like when, when he's 15 he gets in touch with Chris Cabs the producer and he says to him I want to I want to work with you and Chris Cabs in an interview last year told me this that he came in at the age of 15 and he just started rapping and Chris said like he stopped him and said like kid, like what age are you? And he said fifteen. And he said, "This is amazing. I've never heard anybody at your age being able to rap like this." So from there, they started working together, 
And like, how many years, this is like six years ago, and they've kind of got to know each other musically. They've become, they've become really, really good friends as well. And Chris Cabs has produced everything that JLOL has released. And, and on the, on the, uh, like all the pre-album releases, all the singles that he, he put out, you can hear at the start of every song, a really, I don't know if you noticed, a really nice, subtle, barely kind of audible voice saying, Chris Cabs. It's at the start of it, just like a few seconds into every single song. So, so that's nice. But it, like this album, as I said, it's kind of like a two-man team. It's a joint effort uh, in terms of, of how it sounds. And yeah, I, like if you, if you, one interesting aspect of the, of the choice is the, the really big personalities that you have on, on the, the shortlist. If you think of Denise Chyla and Pillow Queens and Roshi and Murphy, and I think JOL has to be up there as well. And you mentioned the fact that uh, he was one of the kind of the, the, the leading figures in the, in the Black Lives Matter movement but he's he's kind of like a, a real role model as well, and I like I think you need I think you need like a lot of balls as well to try and make it in the local hip hop scene in Ireland because it's really not set up for hip hop music whatsoever in terms of venues, in terms of management, in terms of expertise, in terms of like giving advice all around. It's not really set up, so it's it's I, I would imagine it's probably the hardest genre to become successful in in Ireland apart from maybe heavy metal or classical music, one of the maybe the, the more niche um, uh, musical genres, although classical musicians do get pretty cool grants all the same. But I, th I think like a lot of this, the, the, the issues that he covers uh, on the album uh, 2020 Division are it's stuff that it's about his life, his life experience and going back to even his, like the early songs that, that he released, such as Cold is the Summer, he's kind of dealt with what it's like being an immigrant and, and, and like the racism that he sees every single day. And he continues with these particular uh, themes on, on 2020 Division. And he shows his personality. But the, the thing, and this is, sorry, the, the, I, I really want to say this as well. I've seen JOL perform live a good few times. He's an incredible rapper. Like he's easily one of the, the best rappers in my opinion in the country and i think that's kind of like the driving force of this album the production is really great as well but like that can only carry the album i think for so long and as as it does go on it is it's a long album in the sense that i think they, they could have done what maybe having um other contributors on some of the tracks and it would have just loosened it up and made it a bit more fresher because as I said earlier on, it does seem at times like some of the tracks, they become a little bit indistinct from each other. Yeah, he is also one of the more radio-friendly uh, um, talents on the list as well, though. Um, he's also had great success to date getting a track on the FIFA soundtrack I'm presuming most artists would kill for that kind of recognition. Um, he was also on the Normal People soundtrack last year for one of his older tracks called Oh Lord, which uh, I've actually been playing loads the past week. I'm kind of disappointed that it that it's not on the album because I think that's an absolute tune. Yeah, that's JLOL, who's made a really good album, but like a couple of the debut albums on the shortlist, really, really excited to see what he does next. A great introduction, um, but hopefully stronger stuff to come. Let's go to Baby Elliot's uh, favorite for the choice prize. It's Roisin Murphy, Roisin Machine, 
I think this comes in like year 30 or 30 years plus of Roisin Murphy's involvement in the music industry. It's her fifth solo album. It's probably her best work to date as well. It's gotten great, great uh, attention, traction, uh, fan love, critical love. It's probably the best reviews of her career. And uh, it's it's almost like a concept album. I think she says that she sequenced it like a DJ mix. So you've got the ups and the downs, you know, you've got the slow introduction and then you've got the absolute uh, high highs as well. And it covers a couple of dance genres as well. It it really, really seems to have made a great connection. Yeah, I love Roisin Murphy. We, we said this at the top of the podcast, who doesn't love Roisin Murphy? And she's kind of evolved over the years, which is so strange to say that because she's always been amazing. Like she's always had it's amazing in, in terms of her musical output. It's always been of a really high standard, but it just, I could be wrong here, but it just seems in the last three, four years that she's become even bigger and bigger and more and more people have kind of got to know her. I, I've loved her since Maloko and in particular that album Things to, to Make and Do, which came out, I think around about 2000. I, I actually loved, uh, you know, her album, Take Her Up to Monto, which came out, uh, that was her last album, I think, wasn't it? Um, it came out, I don't know, four or five years ago. I really liked that because it was, uh, there were elements of kind of darkness and it was a bit murky and I, I, I really kind of liked that aspect to it. But this, like her, her uh, new album, or the, the album that's been nominated, as you said, it's, 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 it's kind of like it's made for clubs and it's made for the dance floor. I mean, and if you think of, on like you know the the last track on the album jealousy which is just this pure kind of dance amazing dance track and, and just imagine being in a club and hearing that coming on it would be incredible the ironic thing though is that you know it, i'd say more more people have danced to this on their kitchen floors than on the dance floors because i know that that's what we've been doing here in the house we've we've listened to it non-stop but it's been in the house so i think yeah it's these are tracks that you want to hear Definitely, you want to hear it being uh, performed live. But uh, yeah, I love it. Like, I love Incapable. I loved We Got Together. That last track there, which I mentioned, Jealousy, is, is great. Murphy's Law. Um, all, like, yeah, this, it's, it's a really strong album. Um, I, I definitely think it's going to be... I, it's, it's one of three albums for me that are going to be in the running for this particular award for Best Irish Album of the Year. And I can't wait to see her performing these songs live. I've only got to see her once before. I think it was at Longitude a few years ago, and she was incredible. So I don't know. Have you seen her before? You've seen her. Before, uh, yeah, I saw her at um, uh, all all together now down in um, Waterford, I think, and I saw her very late and uh, not in my uh, finest state at uh, Primavera a couple of years ago as well. So I'd actually love to see her just do a standalone gig in Ireland I think that's what the country needs post pandemic as well is a Roisin Murphy gig at like the point or the point theater where'd that come from at the three arena it's been so long I've forgotten the names of the venues in Dublin seven nights in a row <laughs> yeah it'd be amazing I think everybody should we should just get free tickets it should uh it should it should it would be an experience but um yeah this album I really 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 like it I think it's it is her best work to date I think it's less weird then take me up to Monto. Also, it's very much its own thing. It's very much Roisin Murphy. You know, she's a little bit uh, different, a little bit oddball. And uh, this is a great dance album. I think, though, that there are some tracks that go back a good few years. The opening track, Simulation, was originally released in 2012. There's a good few 
singles uh, spread really nicely throughout it um, that have come out as uh, 12 inches over the years as she's kind of uh, figured out that big dance vibe that she wanted on this album. And ultimately, I kind of think that works against it a little bit. Um, You know, the fact that these tracks really, really jump out at you because you heard them a couple of years ago. They're already favorites uh for you and sometimes i think some of the tracks in between the singles uh kind of get lost along the way but ultimately the choice prize isn't a lifetime achievement award because it's usually uh new younger blood but i would be more than happy to see roshi machine get the uh acclaim and uh the the award that she deserves for her contribution to music and with roshi machine it's probably her best album to date yeah definitely i mean I'd love if she got it. I think I think everybody would love if Roisin Murphy won this award, and it, it would probably come at the exact right time for her to win it. So yeah, let's let's see what happens. Yeah, I also have this as probably the second favorite for the album, and then Fontaine's DC as the third favorite. But what's my number one favorite to walk away with the award? We'll we'll wait and see as we get into the second half of the Choice Prize shortlist. Let's start off with Nilo, uh, Dublin rapper, former hardcore artist. I think uh, everybody who talks about Nilo has to mention that uh, as they're talking about him. All the Leaves Are Falling is his debut album. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, this album? Uh, you mentioned Nilo earlier. Yeah, you interviewed him last year, John. Well, it's funny to say, it's funny you should mention Roshi Murphy as being your second favorite. I, I looked on Boyle Sports yesterday be, uh, as I was researching this podcast interview, and Nilo, I think, is the rank outsider according to Boyle Sports in terms of is he 20 to 1, maybe? Yeah, that, that and Bitch uh, Falcon, I think, isn't it? Bitch Falcon, okay. But Roshi Murphy then is 12 to 1. She's like the, the third least uh, favorite for the awards. I'm thinking Boyle Sports knows nothing about Irish music. Come on, they're going to lose loads of money if Roshi Murphy wins. Uh, Nilo is a lovely guy. I mean, the thing about Nilo is he's, like, as a musician and as a person, he's one of the good guys. He's someone with, like, a, a heap load of positivity. He's great to hang out with. And this album is basically his, his life and his life experience up to now. But the thing is, they're very relatable to any young person that's grown up in Ireland. By young, I mean anybody from the from the ages of like late teens to mid forties, probably at this stage, he starts off the album talking about what it's like or what it was like growing up in Clonsilla and him and his mates just walking around the estates every day as teenagers gone, Jesus Christ, when is our life ever going to begin? And I don't know, you, you've spent some time recently in D15. So I don't know whether you, you know Clonsilla too well, but Clonsilla, I went, I, I, I was house something last year. We looked at a couple of places in Clonsilla and I know Clonsilla from when I was uh, a kid, but I mean, Clonsilla has grown so much over the years and it does feel like it's just a state after a state after a state. And you can imagine Nilo as a kid with his mates just kind of like hanging around the street corners. There's nothing really else to do and just wishing that they could, um, you know, that their life could start already. But the songs also move on from there on the album to him in his twenties growing up. And like, it's, this is a time when there's a recession in Ireland, rent is high. I mean, these are, these are things that we can all kind of relate to. It's impossible to save for a mortgage. And if you manage to be lucky enough to save for a mortgage, the bank then gives you a mortgage that really isn't, isn't big enough. It's not the amount that, that you need to buy anywhere that you want to buy. And it's also a time when people are emigrating. So Neil would have seen a lot of his mates emigrate. He spent time in Canada. And it's also then about these guys who come back to Ireland 
uh, probably feeling like, okay, this is a new beginning, and then realizing, no, things are as shit as they were before I left. Um, so they're kind of like the themes on the album. I, I, I really, really like this album. I really like the, the, the musically, I'm a big fan of it. I like that kind of jazz and soul, kind of downbeat uh, hip hop feel to the tracks. And I think that this is made possible by the, the kind of dream team of musicians that he has working on the album. They're called Inner Space and Inner Space are musicians, Yuli, Adam Byrne, and Fia Kirkin there. But I also like the introduction of, he's got uh, guest vocalists. I know Molly Sterling is on one of the tracks and I think Genova is possibly on one of them as well. So I think that really kind of helps to, to, bring, the, to bring the album along. So yeah, I'm a, I'm like, I really, really like this album. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the guests are probably the best part of uh, All the Leaves Are Falling. Um, I think Molly Sterling and Genova and Adam Garrett as well steal the show whenever they're on it. Um, it's only 32 minutes and there's five minutes of talking um, between the that opening uh, uh, Decilla interlude and then Red Tree interlude where he gives the story of the album. I kind of like or prefer when an artist does that maybe in interviews around it rather than telling us exactly what to expect on the album and ultimately it does very little for me uh this record um i'm not a big fan of nilo's delivery or his rapping style but i can see why it's connected with people and i think it's applaudable to be singing about this and to um you know he's obviously made a connection with his audience so fair play to him for that but it does very little for me and it kind of leaves little to the imagination as well where all the themes you know that you have to kind of do a bit of digging with uh, some albums to figure it out it's all very much uh, on display here so yeah it, d- it doesn't do much for me this is this would be my rank outsider as well John mm, interesting interesting I don't know like I, I, I he's got such a distinctive voice I mean as soon as you you hear him uh, come into any of the songs you know maybe this is Nilo this is you know and, and it's not like he's been going for years and years he's uh, and, and his personality is kind of it's fully formed in the sense that if you follow him on social media, you kind of know who he is. Um, I think he did a really good, him and his team did a really good PR campaign as well for, for the album. In, in Dublin, they had like big billboard signs of the, the front cover of the album, which was, I think is quite, quite a, almost like a iconic uh, front cover. So yeah, I don't know. I like that. It's one of those albums on the shortlist that it's, it's very much about, personality and it's very much about who he is and as you said like this he kind of is very open about his life and there's there's no kind of scratching beneath the surface because that's that's kind of the way he is anyway you know he's he doesn't kind of hide anything at all he's, he's quite open about his experiences and his emotions and if you follow him on social media you'll know that as well uh, and that's exactly the way the album is yeah the the jazz um in inflections that you mentioned as well i kind of think that kojak did it better so i I just think everything about this you know i I go a little elsewhere for for the stuff that i'm looking for but um he's obviously made a connection so uh fair play to him for that but if nilo is my outsider pillow queens are my favorite to run away i think they're i think they're issuing for the choice prize the album is called in waiting again it feels 
like we have been waiting for this album for a long time and i think everybody knew that when it came it would feel very special the fact it came in september october as after six months or so of uh lockdown in ireland it felt even like it made even more of an impact it feels like people spent even more time uh with the album that almost every track on it feels like it's special and made a different connection with me anyway uh in one way what about you john yeah 100 percent agree i think they released it at a really good time but like pillow greens have been everybody's favorites for the last probably four years and it's been lovely to see how, how the band have evolved because over those four years, they've gradually built up this really loyal fan base that's got bigger and bigger. And it's, a, it's probably like on a fan base that's grown up, as, as Pillow Queens themselves have grown up and developed as a band, the, the audience has kind of grown up as well. And, and their music has been the soundtrack to, for a lot of people that have grown up in their 20s and 30s, Pillow Queens music has been their, their soundtrack. And going to a Pillow Queens gig is, is, is like a, a social event. And, Totally Irish's Laura Keegan was at their first gig and uh, I think it was like on a Friday night and on the Sunday she came bursting into 98FM going, I've discovered this amazing new band and, and that was it. Like she, So she got us into Pillow Queens originally. But the whole thing about them is there's a real kind of organic feel to the build-up. You know, it's, it's real kind of word of mouth and the build-up to the release of this debut album was great like in the sense that there was so much buzz about it and it was genuine you know people were genuinely uh, excited uh, to to listen to the album and when it came out there was I honestly I'm not just saying this I don't remember seeing as much praise on my timeline anyway and on, on the likes of, of Twitter uh, for a, a debut album and it's almost like they've become this phenomenon over over the last few months when they if, if you remember like when they put out that that post that they're about to appear on the Late Late Show with James Corden. It, like, it almost sounded, it was like, this is unbelievable news. You had to read it twice. But then when you saw them per- performing on the show, you thought, oh no, actually, this is the most natural thing ever. Like, why wouldn't Pillow Queens be on, on the Late Late Show? And I think, like, if, if you think of, the like, the, I think at the, the heart of the album is that this, the song's, and the music that they create are really kind of powerful, emotive, sing-along, anthemic songs that, like, they're they're hopeful, they're uplifting. Even though, like, the the lyrics and what they talk about aren't at times very, you know, easy easy. It's not easy listening, I guess, but they're always quite hopeful and uplifting. And they talk about family and they talk about togetherness and community. And it's it's like they have a philosophy. That's the Pillow Queen's philosophy. So. Yeah, I, I, I love the album. I think Pam's lyrics are uh, one of the main strengths of the album. They're honest, they're self-reflective. And as I said, like she, she kind of deals with issues that aren't easy to talk about. So they're very brave at times. And then when you mix these lyrics with these wonderful harmonies, you know, it's powerful. You, you can't help but feel um, like they pull at the heartstrings. So, um, yeah, I, 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 you, you've referenced like, the songs on the album. I, I don't think there's any weak songs at all you could take each song individually and go that's an amazing single that's an, an amazing track however can i just finish off with this point yes of course of course you have the floor i don't think pillow queens have hit their peak yet if you compare the songs on the album with like their earlier releases like rats like there's, there's no comparison obviously but i listen to in waiting and i think musicianship wise there's probably room for improvement 
Uh, I think they're great songwriters, but I think musicianship-wise, there's probably room for improvement. And I think they're going to get even bigger. And I, like the potential is huge. And that's one of the reasons why I'd love for them to win this award, because I think it would really help them going forward in their career. Yeah, you mentioned Rats. I think they had a listening party and that was in the running and they were talking with their fans over Zoom, I think, earlier in lock- in the first lockdown about whether or not Rats should be included on uh, the album. But ultimately, the turning point for Pillow Queens was Gay Girls, this really, really big song. And it sounds like it's uh, like 10 times bigger and brighter and stronger than anything that they've done before. And that kind of idea runs through the album from the very start the confidence that to start off uh, the album with holy show i just think it's an amazing opening line and it kind of continues from there into liffy which is the track that they performed on uh, the james gordon show in america right through to gay girls harvey which references uh, the boyfriend of sabrina the teenage witch for whom uh, they got a shout out from the actor who plays him uh, recently on twitter which i think is probably one of their biggest moments to date with in waiting and then you've got that those final tracks brothers which is almost like a sequel to gay girls and donamede which is one of if not the best closing track on all of the shortlisted albums this year and like you talk about the musicianship i think it's uh i think it's already hit a peak they talk about in those early days when they were still figuring out uh their sound but i think um the drums on this album are brilliant the guitars on this album are great as well i think it's uh it's near perfect there's maybe there's maybe one or two tracks that um aren't as strong as some of the others that i mentioned i don't know i I think this is such a great uh album and they deserve uh all of the praise and all of the love that they've been getting and like you say john this is just the start for pillow queens and i do kind of think that they're going to run away with the choice prize shortlist i find that the judges often kind of go in uh to the room and they have an idea of who's going to win who they want to win i think uh oh emperor a couple of years ago was the one that threw us i don't think anybody uh expected them to win but last year it felt like Lancome's year this year it definitely feels like it's pillow queen's year and what a what a way to uh follow it up sarah from pillow queens was in the irish independent at the weekend and she was talking about the influence that Lancome have had on pillow queens they're not really uh similar bedfellows but when you hear her talk about it and the kind of the lyrical and um uh, vocal impact that Lancome have had on them uh it does kind of become clear so i think i think uh this is pillow queens year it's been their year as well the past 12 months too and um yeah we we bow down to pillow queens uh, yeah sarah is definitely a huge fan of Lancome. I discovered this at last year's Choice Music Prize <laughs> when she was quite forthright in telling me how wrong I was about uh, not getting Lancome's album and not really yeah, feeling that it was album of the year. Uh, we'll, we'll miss that now. We'll miss that on uh, on Thursday instead of at the Choice Pri- at at Vicker Street being accosted by someone for uh, our, <laughs> our opinions. We yeah. might get a DM or something on Twitter. I know, but uh, man, like the after party on Thursday would have been incredible. Oh, Al. <laughs> uh, like, can you imagine like hanging out with you know, the Bitch Falcon crew and Alva and Pillow Queens and, you know, the Silverback lads are lovely, JLLs, lovely, Fontaine's lads are lovely, and, and just kind of living off the buzz of their experience. It would have been great. That's all we do every year. We live off other people's experiences. I just try and get a selfie with uh, Roisin Murphy, really. <laughs> That that would be my highlight of the night. Um, 
Okay, next on the list, uh, it seems apt that we're going to talk about Alvaretti Personal History. She released this album about a week or two after Pillow Queen's debut album. Again, it felt like a long time coming and it felt like this is version two or three of Alvaretti 2 because a lot of the time I would think and other people think of Alva as this kind of folk artist. Maybe that's how she kind of made her name with more uh, acoustic tracks that racked up the play the plays on Spotify just looking at her at the list of the 10 most played songs distrust has uh, almost 5 million plays at this stage um, that doesn't make it onto the album it's all uh, tracks that have been made in recent years and I think she was sitting on it for a while um, before she finally released it in October it's 35 minutes long it's 10 10 songs long and I see this as kind of a chronicle of her 20s it's almost like a concept album I keep saying that but I I think I might be the only one but it kind of charts the highs and the lows of your 20s between breakups and parties and realizations by the end of it you're just happy to have gotten through self-improvement is such a great final closer as well it's probably I, I mentioned the Pillow Queens track as the best this is probably the second best on the shortlist for closing tracks I really really love a good strong closer and this has everything that I want it's got that kind of uh, complete change up in sound in its four and a half minutes about halfway through it just kind of stops and changes what it is and then it's just got a great uh, key change I also think that Alvaretti is one of the best songwriters in the country I think she started working on her second album and maybe she kind of is happy to get this one out of the way you know she had this idea of uh, this chronicle of her 20s and now she's gotten that out of the way almost like you know getting a weight off your shoulder she's uh got a load of new ideas that she wants to explore and new lyrics that she wants to dive into i, I think you, you mentioned there about people perceive her as being a folk artist and i think she was really aware of that and i interviewed her last year she said that she wanted to have like a lot more kind of upbeat songs on the album to kind of balance out those maybe slower kind of ballady type not ballady type but you know the, the slower kind of folk songs and um, so you, you've got the likes of time difference and looking happy and fading which are all kind of upbeat even though like looking happy as she said to me um is like the lyrics on it are in no way um like positive or hopeful or upbeat at, at all they're kind of quite gloomy but she likes the idea of the, the juxtaposition between kind of those type of lyrics and happy upbeat music which is what she has in that song looking happy but yeah i mean none of those tracks sound anything like alva um in, in her whatever was releasing sorry in her early days so it is like the, the second or third version of, as you said earlier on of alva ready there's a really nice balance uh, between those styles of songs on the album one of my favorite i like i love those three tracks that i just mentioned there i love personal history as well the the song and it's it's classic alva ready she kind of lets you have a like a little peek at her like latest diary entry, you know, you get a little insight into into her life. But I, I'm a huge fan of Alvis. I like. I think she's great. I agree with you about her being an amazing songwriter. Uh, and like, one of the main aspects of Alva as a musician and as a personality is that she's extremely likable and relatable. And I've I've watched her perform over the years in different venues, and I've seen the way the crowd reacts to her songs, but also to her on stage, like her in between song banter is great. Like at times you're, you're thinking, this isn't really like a comedy show because the crowd are, are lapping it up so much, like they're really engaging with her. And it's so noticeable how much each time I've seen her live, how much the crowd loves her. 
And that's not an easy thing to do, you know, at, at all, at all. So I think people like her because of her music, but also because they like her, they, they like who she is as well. And it seems that, you know, other mu musicians really respect her and critics and media as well. And that really helps because this album, as you said, is about her. It's her, it's a personal, personal album. It's about her relationships and life and the good and the bad. And as you said, it's about her in her twenties growing up. You listen to the album, you nearly feel like you know Alva really well, <laughs> uh, even though you know you you may not. You may you may have only seen her a couple of times live, but you just think, yeah, you know, I I, I know this girl. I know what she's getting at here. Um, I follow her on social media, and it's it's kind of like an all around package with Alva. And yeah, it's a, it's a great debut album. I I do I do agree with you. I think you know the next thing that she releases is going to be even better. I think this is just the start for Alva. I'm looking forward to hearing what she does uh, on the next album. Um, but this one is very guitar heavy as well. And uh, it's gotten a lot of radio play from BBC Six Music. And one of the things that I guess is a little bit surprising, maybe a little disappointing, is that a reputation in Ireland and on, and on Irish radio maybe isn't a little bit higher. Um, but But she's had support from Six Music, which is probably the best thing that you can do. Oh, here we go. The, the moment of the podcast when we start dishing uh, Irish radio. I love it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not... But it's true. And the funny thing is, like, me, me and you both listen to BBC Six Music quite a bit. Um, and, like, a lot of these nominated acts have been played, uh, like, a lot in BBC Six Music. So Silverbacks, they've heard a lot on that station. Alba Reddy, Roisin Murphy, Fontaine's DC, uh, Pillow Queens, you know? So... It's great. It's, isn't it great to be able to turn on an international radio station and hear all these amazing Irish acts? Yeah. And, and when I say that about not getting played on Irish radio, it is more the daytime radio stuff yeah. that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, like the likes of uh, your show, which does great work, the likes of Tara Stewart or all of those like shows that are on at nighttime and that, you know, sadly don't get the same listenership as they do during the day, um, who obviously do great things and are really supportive of Irish artists at various stages of their career. Evening radio is where it's at, Owen. You know it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, we're down to the final two acts now, and it's Niamh Regan. Hemet is the penultimate act that we're going to talk about. Uh, this time last year, I don't think I even knew the name Niamh Regan. It really, really did come out of nowhere around uh, August, September, uh, this album. But I'm really glad that it did. It has felt like the little album that could because it just feels like she's not shouting about it from the rooftops. That's not Niamh Regan's style. She's a singer-songwriter from Galway, and this just seems like a real word-of-mouth album. I remember talking to her just before it came out, and uh, but just because, um, you know, some sometimes you get artists at different stages, you know, a couple of weeks after the album, you know, you, you've come to it because other people are talking about it. But this album, uh, I got sent it um, by the... PR and I, I just really really liked it it just sounded like a nice uh relaxing and like self-confident album that doesn't need to be uh shouted about but Niall or Nine uh really loved it Niall and Andrea have been uh loving this album and have done a great job of uh, of talking it up I think it featured quite highly in their end of year list as well this is slow piano led but then it's also got the likes of Save the Day which is a big kind of Julia Jacqueline kind of drop but lyrically as well, there, there's a lot of uh, depth 
to this album to about love and loss and familial and love i think Nia Regan has done something really really great on hemet like when i say that it's the little album that could it just feels like it's been a little bit effortless just because it's been such a word of mouth success she's done a lot of live streams over the past couple of months too and she just seems like the nicest person and when great success comes to really really nice people uh, I can't help but be happy and so John as a very nice person what do you think of this album? Well I'm not going to sound probably overly nice uh, when I'm discussing this album I, I don't know it's probably the the one album the shortlist that I don't know really well I remember getting sent in the track which you referenced there, Save the Day, I got it sent in to play in the show and I listened to it and I absolutely loved it. And it reminded me of a certain Sharon Van Etten, who you and I both love. But now that you've mentioned Julia Jacqueline, I realise it's probably more Julia Jacqueline, but it's a really, really great, it's a great single and it's a great calling card for the album. But the problem with it was that I, I, I kind of thought that the rest of the album would have a similar sound and style. So maybe I came at the album from the wrong angle. Because, yeah, for me, that song is probably like it sounds the least like the rest of the album. And um, it's the strong point of the album. I, I, I think that Eve's got a, a really great voice. It's clear that she's an excellent songwriter. But I don't really have a huge grow at the moment in my life for that type of um, Irish folk music of, the, of that nature. And it, it, at times it reminds me, I, I really like Lisa Hannigan, but I really like the, the songs of Lisa Hannigan that I really like are the ones that are really kind of upbeat. And when Lisa Hannigan does, you know, kind of slow folk music, I kind of zone out a little bit. And that, that happened with me on this album, unfortunately, from Nave. And I, I've, I've heard, you know, from a good few people that she's, she's really nice. And as I said, it's clear that she's uh, an excellent songwriter and all that. But I just, unfortunately... Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of, of the sound of this album. Yeah, I wonder if it wears its influences a little too much on its sleeve to be in the running for the choice prize. Like Lisa Hannigan would also be a touchstone for me. And uh, yeah, that Julia Jacqueline vibe too. Um, maybe that's the kind of thing that I was missing with the Fontaine's album, you know, like Save the Day offers that real shot in the arm. Um but uh, there's nothing like that on uh, Fontaine's DC's album for me. But no, I'm, I'm really happy to see uh, Nia Regan there um, with Hemet on the shortlist. And we're on to the final album of the 10. It's Silverbacks with Fad. Do you want to uh, go first with this one, John? Yeah, well, see, Silverbacks, I, I would connect with you in, in some ways because we saw Silverbacks performing at Knock and Stocking together uh, two te- no, yeah, 2019, wasn't it? So it would have been two... two- yeah, okay, a year and a half ago, uh, the last knock and stocking that there was, and uh, I, I like I, I just watched them performing on stage that day, and I thought oh, these guys have just moved up a completely different level, and and they were they're working so well. Like I, the thing about Silverbacks is you, you kind of watch them on stage, and you don't think, well, he or she is the shining light of the band, or you know they're they're all as equally as good as each other, and I think that fads. This album that they released last year is probably the sound of, of a band that, you know, that we saw on stage in Ockenstock, but it's, it's the sound of a band that have really reached their potential. You know, they, they found their sound. And I've, like, I've been playing them on the show since 2015. I think I played their track through a curtain originally, and I, I was really impressed with, with the sound. And I really, like, I like that type of pavementy style of music. But it wasn't until Dunkirk came out 
in 2018 with that, you know, that like catchy as hell intro with the bass drums and that, that guitar hook as well. And I suddenly thought, oh, Jesus, this is a real step up. And it, like the whole album is, is a step up from what, what they were releasing originally. It's a really fun album to listen to. The highs of the album are really, really high. And I think on tracks like Dunkirk and Muted Gold and Up the Nurses, they're great songs as well to play on the radio. And I've already referenced BBC Six Music, who, who've played them quite a bit over the last few months. And I, I love the sound of them. It's kind of, it's catchy and it's immediate. I love the, the bass lines and the guitar hooks and those kind of punching drums. And they remind me, and they remind me quite often of Talking Heads. And I don't know if that's even a good reference point. Um, probably Talking Heads mixed with, with Pavements, maybe. The only criticism I would have, and I don't even know if this is a, a criticism of the album, is that it's very hard to keep that same type of sound going over the course of an entire album. And I think maybe that's why they have those like couple of instrumentals in there. They've also got, there's a couple of tracks that maybe don't follow that that type of sound. And I'm thinking like Grinning at the Lid is definitely, Grinning at the Lid, sorry, is definitely one which is slightly different. But it, it's just, as a listener, like by the time you get to the end of it, it, it I don't know, it, it's nearly like you've been, you've had an overload possibly of that particular, uh, that sound that, that they have. Um, I don't know, is that, a, is that a criticism? I don't know, probably not. But it, uh, anyway, overall, uh, do, not, do not let me end on a negative, dear God. Uh, I, I really like the album and I've loved listening to it. And as I said, they're, they're great live. Uh, and I'm really delighted that they've, that they've uh, been nominated. I, I think that it's fully, fully deserved. Yeah, I actually don't think I, d- I don't get that feeling uh, by the end of this album, maybe just because it's 35 minutes long. But I think that it offers something different, uh, you know, ju- maybe just when you need it. It's got the likes of uh, uh, Up the Nurses, um, where bassist Emma takes the uh, takes the reins of it. You've got Club Silverbrook and uh, as well, which is just a killer track. You've got Fad 95, which references uh, The Simpsons and has a little bit of politics, if that's what you're into as well. It's also got one of the best uh, tracks of the last couple of years in Irish music, just in the band on it as well, which uh, I think it was premiered on Stereo Gum a couple of years ago. And I know that they've been big, big backers of this band, which is uh, great to see. But I, th- I think this is a really, really great record. It's one that I've gone back to a lot. Um, I do wonder maybe if the if like Nia Regan, you know, we kind of referenced um, the idea of the influences um, maybe counting against her, maybe the pavement uh, influence will count against silverbacks uh from the judges i wonder have they tried to shake that that um reference off in the past couple of years because it's not as evident on this album maybe just as they've developed as a band which is maybe the thing about all of these uh debut albums they're very much uh introductions maybe apart from bitch falcon because that's a culmination of uh seven years of work but um you know the album is kind of the first definitive statement from a band it's it's still something that uh artists work towards or most artists work towards and i think that with fad silverbacks have reached uh one level and i'm looking forward to seeing uh where they go next because they can go in any kind of direction because like rye is a word that um i would often associate with this band if you go to the synonyms uh for rye you know they all kind of work for this band ironic sardonic 
satirical, mocking, scoffing, sneering. All of that is kind of evident on uh, Silverback's debut album, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. But I think that they can be really proud of this album. It's one of my favorites on the Choice Prize uh, shortlist, and I'm delighted to see it uh, get the recognition that it deserves. Um, and just like that, John, we're at the end of the end of the shortlist. I think we both have Pillow Queens as the clear favorite to run away with the 10 grand check on Thursday from the judges. Yeah, I think that normally what happens is judges will cut the 10 albums down to maybe two or three. And I mean, I haven't got a clue what's going to happen, but if I was to take a guess, I might think that they would cut it down to Pillow Queens, Roshi Murphy and Fontaine's DC. And I'm, I'm basing that not just on who I would like to see in there, but also if you look at the judges like Lauren Murphy, Claire Regan, Ray Wingnut, uh, Tracy Clifford's, Gemma Bradley, Louise Ty used to work on Totally Irish. Let me just say that she worked on Totally Irish for three years. Uh, best of luck to Louise on Thursday. Elisa Connell, if you look at those in particular, sorry, I just don't know the rest of the judges, but like they're all real music heads. And I, I, I've got a feeling that those are the three acts that they might go for collectively. So I think, yeah, if it comes down to, I think Roshi Murphy's got a really, really good chance of, of winning. But if I had to put my money and your money which isn't a lot of money on somebody to win the Choice Music Prize. I, I would put it on on Pillow Queens. But in saying that, I, I this is, and I didn't say this at the very start. I love the shortlist. I think the judges have done a great job. I would love if any of the ten acts won um, this year's prize. I honestly would, and I have never ever been able to say that in previous years because there's always been one or two albums where I've gone. How the how the hell has that got onto the shortlist? Oh my god! So this year, I'm yeah, I'd love if any of them did it. I just think maybe Pillow Queens might get. It. Yeah, and congratulations to all of the acts who managed to release music in one way or, or another. They've helped us get through an, an unprecedented year, I'm going to say it, John. Just been happy spending a lot of time with these albums for the past couple of weeks, just playing them to death and really getting to know them. And like you say, fair play to all involved uh, for it and fair play to the judges for recognising a really, really strong shortlist. I don't know, do you want to give a shout out to any album that you think um, would have maybe deserved to have been featured maybe just missed out uh Kean Kavanagh I, I called it on this podcast the end of year podcast that I did with Keelan and Ashling his debut album Dog Person was my overall favorite of last year I thought it was a brilliant tight 27 minute album so um people should check that out if they haven't already I don't know do you have any albums that jump out at you John that you would have seen like to have seen recognized before we sign off yeah I I, I well I, I had seven of the ten nominators albums for this year's choice and my top 10 albums of last year but the three that I had on it that didn't make the shortlist were from Eve Vanessa Francis, Bleeding Heart Pigeons and Bridget May Power and um, so yeah just I guess it's always worth going back and listening to other albums that aren't on the choice music prize shortlist but I certainly wouldn't begrudge any of the 10 uh, nominated acts that, that made it not at all um, I just do think though that the albums from Eve Vanessa Francis, Bleeding Heart Pigeons and Bridget May Power were amazing albums I mean, go back and listen to them. They're incredible, incredible albums. And it's just a pity, I guess, that they can only nominate 10 albums. Next year on, we need 15 albums nominated. <laughs> well, we'll get started. Yeah, there's, there's already been a good few uh, nice releases already this year at the start of March when we're talking. Well, can you imagine if there was 15 albums? I mean, that means this podcast every year would be three hours long, probably. Three hours long, yeah. F- f- You'd yeah. be drunk by the end of it. <laughs> 
Well, that's the thing, John. Hopefully, ne- hopefully next year, uh, after we sign off our Choice Prize preview show by looking back on the albums that were released in 2021, we can go for a pint instead. Uh, it's Sunday morning, so I'm going to go for another coffee and uh, try and wake myself up for the day ahead. Listen, thanks a million for doing this. Hope you enjoy the week ahead and get to listen in to your wireless radio. Tune it to 2FM, 92FM and uh, listen in on Thursday morning to uh, the Tracy Clifford Show where the winner of the Choice prize uh, for Irish Album of the Year for 2020 is going to be announced. Thanks a million for doing this, John. Thanks, Alan Sullivan. See you soon. Cool. Thanks a lot, folks. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 